Welcome to A Moment of Bach, our special mini-series on Brandenburg Concerto No. 3. On this podcast, we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. This is a three-part mini-series, three movements of the Brandenburg Concerto No. 3, one episode per movement. This is our second week, so movement two. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert. Today's moment is Movement 2 of the Brandenburg Concerto No. 3. You can find some funny memes and stuff online about why Bach might have written such a silly short second movement. But what essentially happens here is that you have this big, huge first movement and a really nice third movement as well. Sandwiched between, there should be, this is the part where there should be a slow movement, right? Right. The format of these multi-movement concertos is first movement, fast, second movement, slow, third movement, fast. That's that's pretty typical, right? Yeah. There should be an entire movement of several minutes long here. But what Bach wrote was just two chords. And one of them leads directly to the other one, and it ends in a un- semi-unresolved way. Yeah, and just to be really clear, what you just heard in that example there that we just played is the whole second movement. Yeah, that's it. And what you heard is really more than what Bach wrote, because as I'm sure you'll get into in a second, Christian, some of that violin stuff is improvised. Really, the only thing that Bach wrote out were the two chords. Yeah, the first chord and the second chord. That's what's written. And in a lot of performances, one of the players in the orchestra, in this case, it's the first violinist, and in some cases, the harpsichordist will do this. They'll do a little improv. That's how they'll get from the one chord to the other, or from the beginning to the end of it. And that sounds very natural, and it's something that you would do in this time period. But this, these two chords really just make up the end of a musical phrase, right? They sound like something is coming to a momentary close, but then going, going to go on to something else. And so it is strange and very unknown why Bach sort of just decided to write this like most absolutely most simplified thing that he could do here. Did he run out of time? Did he do this on purpose? Is it some sort of trick? We don't really know. We'll never really know. But the interesting thing is how people have handled this and how scholars think what scholars think of it and how musicians treat it. Now, sometimes performers of the Brandenburg Three will just substitute another Bach piece for the second one. And they'll get to the end of the first movement, and then they'll play something else by Bach for the second movement. Usually another slow movement from another one of his concertos or something. And they'll usually pick an adagio. This has a tempo marking of adagio, and that's a typical slow signal for you to play slower. 
So some people will do that instead just to fill this out so that it's not just two chords. But what I prefer is when people just grapple with what it is. And that's what Mr. Sato does when he embellishes it with his beautiful cadenza that he's worked out on his own. And the thing I love about his cadenza is it's got little echoes of the first movement in it, doesn't yeah. it? He even does two pairs of three of it because he's so concerned with knowing that this whole concerto is all about the number three and the mystical nature of that. So why these chords? That's what I'm interested in thinking about today because this is, this is absolutely a moment of Bach and a weird one and a hotly debated one. But... The actual two chords that we're looking at here are actually not that remarkable. It's pretty cool how he scored them for three violins, three violas, and three cellos, and that it's sandwiched in between this giant masterwork that is movement one and movement three, but the chords themselves are actually pretty normal. But it's a great opportunity to discuss what it means to end a musical phrase. The most common way to end a musical phrase, and the most final way, would be to end it with something very absolute, right? like the very end of a symphony, or something with absolute complete closure. The idea of having gone out on a journey and then coming back home and then finally being resolved. Yeah, And that's actually kind of the rules of classical music. Classical music needs to end that way. When something resolves at the end like that, in music we call that a cadence. That word cadence, you might know it from some other definitions. We're not really talking about the kind of cadence here the definition of the word that means like an ongoing footstep or drumbeat. We're talking actually about it in a sense of musical harmony, as in a sense of closure at the end of a phrase. And in fact, it comes from a Latin word that means to fall. That's in reference to speaking a sentence and having your last word go down. And that is what the word cadence comes from. There are many different kinds in music, and that's what makes classical music so interesting, right? There's the kind that's the most resolved. We call that the authentic cadence. And then there are kinds that sort of leave things open-ended. And a lot of those we call half cadences. There are cadences which seem like they're going to be authentic, but then fake you out at the last second. We call those cadences deceptive. This one is a type of half cadence. It's even got a particular name. It's called the Phrygian cadence or Phrygian half cadence. And it's called that because that bass note is very reminiscent of an ancient musical mode that you might hear in things like Gregorian chant. But I hope that you get a vibe off of this that's unresolved, because that's my general point here. This little connecting couple of chords is not supposed to be a musical joke that's like, haha, one little tiny contained thing and now it's all over. 
no, this is actually supposed to be an open-ended thing. This is actually how some longer movements of music ended in this time period. They ended openly so that a concluding final movement could come afterwards. This one's just strange because it's, number one, it's so short, and number two, it sort of doesn't seem to go harmonically to the third movement. Yeah, and also the other two movements are just both fast and both in G major. Yeah. There are no other soft movements at all. Right. Musically speaking, this one all of a sudden seems to be pointing towards E minor. And it never gets there because it's a half cadence. And it's weird. Like, you'd think that we'd be going somewhere to a slow period of E minor or something like that, or that it'd be setting up a fast thing in a different key. And it never does this. And we don't know why. And that's part of the thing about Bach is that we don't always know why because he didn't always see fit to write down why and he didn't know he was going to be he never knew that he would be as world famous as he is now and that we would obsess over things like this later (laughs) that's true true. but we are probably right in you know doing a little bit of obsessing over stuff you know I mean hopefully we are because we have this podcast but I just mean in general people who love Bach because he really did take that level of care like we've said so many times before and you can tell when you're analyzing it so that's why we look at something so short like this just a middle movement that's only made of two chords and that's why we think so hard about it right like someone like beethoven or a modern composer of the 20th century would have written like three pages of program notes to explain why they did a certain thing you know and they would have had so many different treatises on this and that but bach didn't see fit to do that because in his day He was like sort of some of the last generations of artists who were not seeking personal fulfillment and bolstering of career ego. That's just not how people thought back then. And it's refreshing to think that. They didn't think like that. We talked about last week that Bach idolized Vivaldi so much. Let me add that in that time period... To copy someone's music or to make arrangements of it or to be inspired and do one of their gimmicks would have been considered the highest compliment. If you did something like that today, you could have a lawyer on your back for copyright infringement. (laughs) So times have changed for the worse in that case, I think. And copyright is a double-edged sword for sure, but that's a topic for another day. But it does go to show how just the attitude of a composer like Bach was so different than the, the way that we think of composers today, right? Yeah. So another way to describe what this violinist, Mr. Sato, is doing here is a cadenza. If you've heard that term, that's a musical term. That means like an improvised brief solo, usually out of musical time, just by yourself. And that's exactly what he does here before the first chord and in between the two chords, right? If you're thinking cadenza and cadence sound like they might have the same root word, they do. It's the same thing. It's that same Latin root meaning to fall. And the cadenza is an Italian word, and that's what we use to describe what he's doing there. And this is very common in the Baroque and classical period, this aspect of improvisation. And it's not like that anymore. If you play in an orchestra these days and you play modern music, then all you have to do is learn how to play the score really well. You have to learn how to play your part really well. There's not going to be a section in there where you're asked to improvise. 
But in the Baroque period, and this is where the Baroque period has things in common with jazz, everybody was expected to be able to improvise in some ways. That had especially big consequences for keyboardists. But even a violinist like this would have been expected to fill in and decorate something like this. So it's another neat little aspect. Yeah, and I also like how he chooses to sort of place that cadenza before the first chord of the two chords. And then when he cues the orchestra in to land on the first chord, he still has a little extra little note there before he hits the second chord. And we call that an anticipation. You can hear his note go up a step and then the orchestra lands the second chord there to match him. And just that little anticipation is an example of a really common Baroque thing that you could improvise, or sometimes was written out in the score, but sometimes not, at the, at the cadence, right? At a cadence, even when it wasn't a cadenza like this, when it wasn't a uh, freeform thing, but just during a movement, if you see a note coming, you can anticipate that depending on if it works with the harmony, but uh, that's something that Baroque players would do. Just one of many examples of non-chord tones or like notes that aren't quite part of the chord when you play them, but like uh, you said, Christian, when you're thinking of it linearly, you've said that before, when you're thinking of the music linearly, it's just him getting to that note before everybody else does. Everybody's still going to get there. And it's kind of a pleasing thing to hear because you're, um, you're setting yourself up for it sonically. Yeah, and these slow, I was going to say slow movements, but this one's just a slow moment, you know? Yeah, right. Um, these slow cadences are the opportunity for intense dramatic expression. They're the moment to tug on the heartstrings so that violinist can really ring out those notes. And that's what we love about this kind of thing, even though it is less than 20 seconds long. And now, here is movement two of the Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3, as performed by Shunsuke Sato and the Netherlands Bach Society. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this piece, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of Brandenburg Concerto No. 3 by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. We also have a Facebook page, an Instagram, and our own website, amomentsofbach.com. So what will we be talking about for the last episode in the miniseries? Well, we'll be talking about Movement 3. That makes from, sense. <laughs> yeah, Movement 3 from the Berenberg Concerto number 3. Until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs> <laughs>